Hey there, before we get started today, I just wanted to say a big thanks to Vitaly and Charge B for sponsoring this episode, which allows me to continue producing Churn FM as an independent creator. Vitaly came in at a vital time for me and perhaps they can for you too. If you're looking to maximize the productivity, visibility and collaboration of your CS team while increasing NRR and streamlining operations, Vitaly is the all-in-one customer success platform to help you do just that. They're also currently giving away a free pair of AirPods to all TrainFM listeners when you take a qualified demo with them. So if you're in the market for a CS platform, visit vitally.io forward slash TrainFM today to schedule your demo and get your AirPods. That's V-I-T-A-L-L-Y dot I-O forward slash C-H-U-R-N-F-M. And in other news, Chargebee just launched their much-awaited 2024 State of the Subscriptions and Revenue Growth Report. With an exclusive focus on retention strategies, pricing trends, and churn rate projections based on a survey of over 300 subscription businesses. I personally got an early sneak peek, and you don't want to miss this one. To grab a copy, you can visit chargebee.com forward slash churnfm. That's C H A R G E B E E dot C O M forward slash C H U R N F M. With that being said, let's jump to today's episode. So, we created these three assumptions. Then we created like a very mathematical approach. If we get these many greens, which means yes, and then out of red. So that means there is a play out here, right? So I think that really helped us be very focused, be very mathematical about it. And at the same time, really get right insights rather than just like, you know, fluffy conversations. How do you build a habit-forming product? You need to invest. And we saw these, these different... They don't just gun for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest-growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Aishwarya. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Andrew. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Aishwarya is the CEO and co-founder of Inferless, building the world's most reliable and fastest serverless GPU inference for AI, ML companies, and recently backed by Sequoia. Aishwarya iterated on four ideas in 12 weeks before landing on Inference and was previously the co-founder and CEO of Peak Performer, where she scaled the service to 900k ARR before deciding to pivot the business to Inferless after failing to reach product market fit. So my first question for you today, Arishwari, is if you were explaining Inferless to a five-year-old, how would you do it? Okay, quite interesting. So I think uh, in the most simplistic manner, think of Inferless as a place where you host your services once you have, let's say, trained your model, right? And what is the biggest value prop and where we come in from a solution perspective is that if you are at a very early stage in your product building phase, right? And you only want, you know that your usage is very less and you are, you know, I mean, you're growing gradually. That is when you can just leverage Inferless as a service to only pay when it is used. At the same time, provide the best experience to your customers and uh, scale without the hassle of managing infra. So it's more like 
more scalable fashion and without any hassle of hiring team members or you know building your infrastructure yourself you can just give it to us and we'll manage it for you nice if i was a 5 year old i'd probably have another 100 questions off the back of that but <laughs> <laughs> i think it's a good uh, a simple way to to explain it as well so basically for ai and ml companies you give them a way to be able to host and leverage their models without having to pay continuously for expensive computers and machinery to run those models so you give them a way to pay for what you use basically pay as you go uh, yeah. correct, correct. No. and even for bigger companies because yeah. generally i mean as you grow big right and that is when you need to solve the problems around auto scaling so that is also where they use our product yeah nice and yeah so today i'm uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about this journey to getting to product market fit obviously i mentioned at the start having started peak performer scaled the business to 900k in arr it's almost a million in arr like it's sort of that point where people say you've reached some level of product market fit if you can hit that size and scale then to deciding it wasn't right and you to pivot so maybe let's just get started with that what was peak performer and why did you feel at that point in time that it was time to pivot and move on to something else quite an interesting question so in a nutshell at peak performer what we were building was uh, so we were trying to democratize leadership coaching for uh, you know early to mid managers it was started with my own personal pain points that i felt as an early manager in my life right so again i think we ran it for close to 3 years and the reason we decided to pivot even after at a certain scale of arr and you know with like a decent product 30 plus customers i think one learning that i have personally experienced and that happened like when we were going through our surge accelerator which is by sequoia now peak 15 ventures was like you know i mean the journey of building a company with a weak pmf so like really understanding the meaning of what high quality product market fit means and that really helped us go very deep into understanding the right metrics that we should focus on so from a saas perspective our product was like a you know like we used to offer these offerings to companies where they can provide this to their leadership and managers and there were certain metrics that we were chasing to understand you know from a like a viable business perspective and uh, there were a couple of reasons which made us feel that maybe it's like something we need to figure out whether there is a strong product market fit that exists or not so one was of course retention that was like the holy grail and there were few reasons where we couldn't achieve that one was the type of business so like when we started working on this idea so again we were trying to build like an asia version of better up or like any such players right where we were democratizing coaching and what we learned uh, about asia market was that maybe the companies here are not ready or let's say it's not like a productized or a fixed budget that they actually invest in right so it was a lot of hard selling rather than something which already like there is a budget that exists versus how it operates in us right so i think we didn't do enough discovery properly at the beginning to realize that it's going to be more of like a lifestyle or let's say a one time investment rather than like a fixed cost that they actually invest in right so as a nature of business it was not like a pure saas which we were kind of fit into that the second and which is more related to the solution that we came up with right that coaching as a concept has a natural churn of after 6 to 12 months so let's say once you start your leadership coaching journey or any therapy journey for that matter right 
you take some pauses the graduation yeah so which was kind of against the philosophy of the saas offering that you're building right uh, we wanted people to do it for a longer time and people were like okay you know we we love your product we love the coaches we had high nps you know all the metrics that we say but end of the day they were like okay i want to now first go and implement this goal and then come back so i think uh, these were two major reasons which made us feel that we are trying to focus on a particular product and kind of trying to implement a playbook which could have been a success in the west but doesn't mean it's gonna be implemented in the same manner here and then the only way we could have then build that business was to make it a consumer business which we as founders didn't want to get into because our background come more from enterprise and you know building engineering products so hence we decided that okay i mean whatever we are left with is not something which we feel very excited about and may not be the best fit to even do that as founders yeah so i think that was like the higher level and just a little bit of context was this a bootstrap company had you raised any uh, venture capital for it or yeah for the longest time i was like running it as a bootstrap like we just raised less than 100k as an angel i think after we raised our seed round from peak 15 is after which we decided to pivot yeah so yeah it's interesting that it's only post that you decided to pivot and not before because yeah. i think typically maybe it's a lot easier when it's bootstrap for you just to say <laughs> okay let's can this yeah. and let's go it's this discussion yeah. but uh it's cool to see that you sort of had investors as well that sort of said go for it yeah. and figure it out so. yeah yeah we almost had a run of like four years yeah uh, so you could have just decided. kept chugging away at it and yeah uh, thing but yeah, yeah it, it doesn't four years is a long long time and a big opportunity cost to lose on something that's exactly. you can see is not going the right direction so you then iterated on four different ideas in 12 weeks before you landed on inference from there so you you started out the business was doing decent but you saw these big major flaws that got you to believe that it wasn't going to make it and was time now let's make a pivot starting with that discussion how did that go how did you discuss with the investors and say hey this is not working we need to turn this around fast yeah i think there are multiple parts to this question that you just asked right one was transitioning from what we were building to even thinking that you know i mean of course there is what's next but before that how do you really wrap up something where you already have this much of revenue right so of course we went through this phase of transitioning out and i think one thing which i personally feel that we did really well was around communication so we were very transparent with our investors with our team members in fact with our customers coaches that you know i mean we tried and it's not working out and we gave every step enough time rather than just rushing through it like first we discussed with our team members went to investors and then so on right so i think it's always good to over communicate than not communicate I remember like when we were even thinking of different ideas I used to like buzz bunch of my investors and now when I look back I I actually think that they must think that I've gone crazy because every day I had a new idea right so I think it's always good to let them know what's going on rather than come out as a surprise so I think we gave it good amount of time which also then when we actually started iterating on multiple ideas gave us enough space to really focus without any baggage so I think that is to answer your first question now coming to understanding and iterating on multiple ideas that was a like a whole framework that we kind of built right and i think everything started with one core thing which we were like super bullish and focused about that this time no matter whatever time it takes we are going to do customer discovery really well 
because like in hindsight when i look back right i always feel that peak performer would have been a very different product if i really invested for 3 to 6 months not building anything not selling anything just talking to customers potential customers right so i think this was the core hypothesis of how we even thought of figuring out ideas and the first step was to me and my co-founder right so we both come with very different kind of backgrounds and experiences and our first step was really writing the non-negotiables as a founder market fit which is very important because there is no point of wasting 6 weeks 12 weeks figuring out an idea and then later on realizing that okay this is something that i may not be excited about so why to waste that energy so we really wrote about you know what kind of problems we want to go after what are the personas we are more excited about what should be the gtm motion what is the market that we want to go after like we were very serious about targeting us as a market so i think these were certain things that we wrote on the day one that okay this should meet those criteria right and then we started like writing down we took some time to reflect that what are the problems that we have ourselves faced in the past right which we can relate with and deeply care about so since i come from sales background and my co-founder is like a you know like a high hardcore engineer so we started reflecting on those pieces which we felt more close to and then we came up so infalless idea also happened because when we were building peak performer we were trying to also pivot into like an ai coach and uh, like my co-founder nilesh tried multiple ways to deploy and we were like really frustrated that it felt like that we are living in the 90s when he was trying to deploy that model right so i think that was also the somewhere like that experience helped us to figure out infalless but of course we didn't test that idea on day 0 it was somewhere in the back right so again i think these were certain steps i'm happy to go deeper but i'll pause so like happy to take questions nice yeah i really like parts of the framework we mentioned first of all like the founder fits just sort of evaluating and say okay what do we really want to do what do we get excited about it's like where do we want to go i think it's super important to start there because it's the worst place to get to where you might even start seeing some traction but you just don't feel it and you need to be feeling it for for it to make it work and to stick it out when times are tough so i like that approach so you came together having these discussions sort of finding out like what it is you want what it is you don't want you also said like customer research number one place to start this time really doing deep discovery you came up with four different ideas like how did you go about then invalidating these ideas throughout before getting to infilis yeah so we had like this entire 2 uh, to 3 week framework where both of us we decided literally every single day what is the job that we have to do so i think that really helped us be very focused and at the same time not lose confidence because again you know as a founder who is just coming out of a pivot and doing this thing again most of the times like very you know demotivating also so i think uh, that was writing down the process was really helpful and then what the process was that so let's say you know i'll give you an example of an idea that we tried right in fact i'll maybe pick in for less because that will be you know more easy to relate with so first step that we did was that to not have a solution offering or a solution mindset when you're thinking of a problem i think it's very important because see as a behavior there are certain things that we really need to keep in mind when we start a customer discovery process and those behaviors are two things one to always think problem first from a customer perspective because the moment you jump onto the solution you're always trying to find ways to fit that solution into a customer life 
but when you go a problem first approach to a customer you also figure out when they are willing to talk to you right that okay they actually relate to this problem so i think this was one behavior that we made sure as part of the process of picking an idea second was always having the mindset to invalidate but not validate because the moment you start you go on a call or like you're having those hundreds of conversations right and you're trying to validate something you get attached you don't want to hear a no but if you're always thinking that okay i want to make sure that this is not going to work and again it's very hard to do that when you go to a conversation and you have a mindset that okay i want to make sure that this is not going to work you may get some kind of insights out of it right so i think these were two very like i would say behavioral approach we took when we started doing these conversations now coming back to the process first what we used to do was that we used to write assumptions so let's take when we started working on infoless right so we wrote that okay these are certain problems which we feel our users would be facing in this process problems like not getting enough gpus on time or let's say overpaying for the gpus getting bad performances so now these are certain problems now we broke down those problems into assumptions and assumptions are generally in a way facts or you try to craft certain simple facts that you believe in if i talk about the problem that okay i end up overpaying for the gpus the assumption could be that machine learning engineers are only utilizing 50% of the gpus now you have broken down that particular problem to an assumption and then we used to then go and test those assumption with the users by asking three very binary questions first do you relate with this assumption like do you have this unmet need or not where you are only paying for 50% of the use you are paying full but your utilization is just 50% so do you have this unmet need the second thing we used to ask was that are you prevented from achieving something if you don't fix this problem today so for example in your life you would always be complaining right okay i don't like to go to office on a daily basis i just want to work from home now like this is a problem but do i want to fix it no i'm happy as a human you can live with bunch of problems and you just crib about and just move on right so i think it's very important to understand that are you prevented from achieving something that you really want to solve it and third which was very important to understand the urgency of that problem was to ask have you yourself tried solving for it or not right because if they have successfully failed in solving something that means that that problem was so intensive and urgent that they wanted to solve it themselves so we created these three assumptions and then went to the person and used to ask like nine objective questions for each as a three for each then we created like a very mathematical approach that okay you know like if we get th- these many greens which means yes and then out of red so that means there is a play out here right so i think that really helped us be very focused be very mathematical about it and at the same time really get right insights rather than just like you know fluffy conversations I just want to give a quick reminder that our sponsors of this episode today are Vitaly and Chargebee. Vitaly are giving away a free pair of AirPods to all qualified demos, so if you're in the market for a new CS platform, make sure to visit vitaly.io/churnfm today. You can also grab a copy of the latest state of the subscription and revenue growth report by visiting chargebee.com/churnfm and let them both know that I sent you. Now back to today's episode. 
Yeah, no, I think it starts as well, like from the very beginning, as you mentioned, just really focusing on that problem and not starting with solutions because then you come to the conversation with way too many biases. And I can't remember who the person is, but the quotes was all something along like, uh, obsess over the problem and not the solution and uh, continue iterating there. And I think I've been guilty of this in the past as well. We've obsessed more over the solution and uh, not the problem itself. And then maybe even listening to customers' feedback too much instead of going back to the original problem and say, okay, what did we try to solve? This problem hasn't changed. Just our solution didn't meet those needs. So, But what you started to do is first of all validate, okay, we believe that this is a problem. Let's go and first validate now and see how big of a problem it is. We have a set of assumptions that we're making. We need to go now and validate those assumptions. And we have three very objective questions we can ask our users that are not based on their future opinions, but rather on their past behaviors and their experiences that they've had. So I love that approach. And then, as you mentioned, being able to then quantify that qualitative feedback to be able to say, okay, there is something here. So Within Furless, I mean, you had your three assumptions you wanted to validate. You sort of got the yeses you, you wanted to see at least to a certain level. What was the next step then? So it was easy enough, okay, like this is a bit of qualitative research. Now, how do you sort of sell this idea to your investors that this is the right way to go or to the team? And what was the triggers that said, okay, yes, let's go for it? Uh, yeah, so I think when we were doing this process, we actually narrowed down to two ideas. So there was one more, which was uh, very compelling. And uh, that was actually in the marketing, like MarTech side of the thing. But the reason we picked this one was like, again, going back to the first question, which is founder market fit. So mm-hmm. I think for us, and again, it's very important to convert your founder market fit non-negotiables into certain measurable metrics. So for example, for us, there were certain things which we really wanted to make sure that is there part of the decision making. One was that we wanted to solve like a really hard engineering problem. And the two ideas that we narrowed down, infraless felt is something that if we are able to crack it, of course, there is a huge if at that time, but we will actually innovate at certain very fundamental level, right? So that really excited us. Of course, we had the right expertise also to solve it internally as a founding team. The second part was also to look at personas. In between these two ideas, engineering was something which was more closer because I, again, come from more sales rather than marketing, right? So that was another parameter that we saw. And third was how big it can become. So like eventually, like, of course, cloud compute is one of the largest TAM that you can think of, right? So yeah, I think this is how we chose from the qualitative. First, the qualitative assessment make two ideas reach to the final conclusion. And then we use these measurable metrics to then take a final decision. And we actually used to do this a lot. So whenever we went to our investors, the question that you asked, right? I had this habit of which I kind of formed during this iteration period was to document really well. So every time we picked an idea, we used to have like a big five to six page of document that we used to convert about the entire process. Who were these calls like ICP? What is the product wedge? why it will fail, why it can succeed. And I think that was like used to be a summary that we used to send to our closest investors who are helping us in that process. And uh, so, yeah, I think when we decided Infoless, I guess they also were able to build that confidence in in us that how we evolved and how fast we were in terms of figuring out the right piece, right? So I think they were quite supportive in our decision making. And uh, yeah, that's how we used to basically Mm -hmm. convert the final thesis. 
Nice. And to be like, I think the key theme as well here is being transparent and yeah. over communicating to some degree as well is how yeah. you get the support you need. And yeah, I absolutely echo that as well. Having previous experiences while working with investors and definitely like, I think there's like one investor I mentioned this one time and he was like, the time when I know there's a problem with the company is normally when I don't hear from that company. <laughs> and then the time yeah. they come to me is when they're in desperate need. And by that time, I don't really want to help that company anymore. But the companies that are open and transparent and like communicate things are good and bad all along the way, like those are the companies I want to continue to support because like I, I know what's going on. I have a good picture and I can understand that the work and effort that's being put into to get to this stage. So you did your founder market fit. You've uh, done your customer research now. You figured out, okay, this is a good match on both ends. Where you're at today, how's Infolis doing? What's the vision? Yeah, I think uh, in terms of vision, we are pretty focused on, again, I think this is also one of the learnings, right? That we very focused. So we are working on one, this single offering, which is building world's most reliable serverless GPU inference offering, which is like, think of us as like AWS Lambda, but for GPUs. That's exactly my comparison out of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's like our core focus. And uh, again, I think I will say that that process that we ran earlier was like part one. So we are still in like the part two of customer discovery, where we have again created a new process, which we are betting on, and I hope it works out. So we, as of today, like we have been for last one year, we have been heads down building the product. We have been able to build some really good, I would say, we have been able to solve some really hard problems that we started with. And our benchmarks are like 10x better than anyone else in the world today. We are currently in private beta. So we have around five paying customers who are very closely associated. They have transitioned from competitor products in the likes of the biggest cloud providers. And we have like a wait list of more than 200 users who have come to our platform through different, you know, content and recommendations. And again, so currently we're in like a private beta where we also have a different approach on how we are picking customers, right? Which is also very fresh and controversial at the same time that how we have created our private beta criteria. But yeah, I think let's see how it pans out. Uh, but so far it's quite exciting and uh, fun. What is that uh, fresh and controversial take on choosing the private beta? How are you <laughs> selecting customers? And, and just, it sounds also very pretentious. How are you selecting customers? Like, I think it's, it's yes. a very good position to be in, but yeah. 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 It's very tempting. So again, I think coming back to the private beta, right? When we started working on this offering, right? So our customer discovery really helped us to narrow down our ICP. Because again, we were speaking to like hundreds of customers. Yeah. So I think from a private beta perspective, the criteria that we have made sure is one, like for us to test out that if we have really built something which is quite good, so we make sure that, so we are following like a rip and apart strategy, right? So all our customers are the ones who are frustrated with the current offerings just to get, just for the sake of acquisition, we didn't want to acquire at the cost of acquiring them better, you know, having a better sales funnel. We have always made sure that all our current customers who are coming to us, they have had bad experiences on other platforms, right? Because that helps us validate that if today I can replace this XYZ offering and I, if I'm able to do repeatedly for five customers, I have the potential to do it for 500 more. So that is one. Second, it's very important to also test in your early days that there is a willingness to pay. Because again, you may be able to capture customers by giving better discounts or just being more affordable and cheaper solution, right? Of course, it's important to be affordable for your customers, but we make sure that 
they are at a certain scale and they are able to commit x amount to us before we onboard them and third we are very very centric about our geography and companies that we are targeting because the whole point of see founder led sales is that you cannot do it forever and you have to make sure that whatever the next goal that you're optimizing for there is a sense of repeatability that you can build so most of my conversations we say no to potential customers right even if we know we can they can benefit from this current offering but we have to politely say them no from a business standpoint because you know being a lean team you can it's very easy to get distracted and you know have so many customers and then when they churn then you have like all the excuses in the world right so i think it's better to focus on less give them the best experience build that kind of repeatability so that when you transition from a founder led to a more founder assisted sales you can scale better and have better nps and retention so yeah that's like the criteria we look at and test yeah i think because when it's founder led sales you can promise a lot more and deliver a lot more and that's not something they yeah. can do when it's uh, founder assisted or when it's uh, sales focused and yeah just in having like a really strict criteria as well i think having people that have the pain point they've tried to solve it already and they've come to you is a, is a strong place to start with the kind of feedback that you want to get and understand and how you iterate your product as well i think yeah. rahul vohra from superhuman had a really uh, good framework for this as well of like only counting feedback from people who mentioned their main value prop that they thought they were building for as well and this is sort of like a step even further that you're going is like just restricting and making sure you're only getting those people to start with through the funnel so that you can iterate and craft a bit experience. Well, it sounds like a very, very interesting and exciting time now for you, Aishwarya. Is there, actually, before we wrap up today, because you're running short on time as well, is uh, one question I ask quite a lot is, what's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? About customer retention. Yes. I came with this one line, which I repeat a lot and try to figure out that missing gap for the great brands that I really look up to and I like. I think uh, people may choose your product for you and for the pitch that you're doing, but they would stay because of the product that you're building. And I have been someone who loved to sell and I like <laughs> I can do anytime, anywhere. But yeah, this this is one thing that I have learned hard ways that you know, retention is much more powerful and tough than acquisition. So we really make sure that you're building for the right reasons for the, you know, like you have a solid thesis from day zero and eventually product will help you retain your customers, right? Not just how good you are at selling. So I think, yeah, this is one thing I've learned hard way. Uh, but yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think it's it's a good lesson. It always used to surprise me as well, like how some of the worst products in the world would like, grow to such enormous sizes but just having really good sales and i think you can get a long way with good sales but then yeah. to build like great long lasting businesses like retention is where it needs uh, the focus needs to come and uh, yeah very nice uh, well it's been an absolute pleasure chatting today and learning about your experience uh, is there any other final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with before we wrap up today how can they keep up to speed with your work I think the final thought that I can only say uh, is, again, a very strong learning that I have got that if you are someone who is listening to this and is an early stage founder, early PMF, please don't outsource product market fit to an employee or to someone outside. It's your job. You are the best person, even if you don't feel so, who can achieve it. I am someone who has never done something in cloud compute, but I do feel confident that, yes, I am the best person to do it. 
So yeah, it's very important to make sure that you don't outsource your product market fit journey. But nice. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you so much uh, for joining the show today. I really, really appreciate the time. It's been really enjoyable listening to your journey and I wish you best of luck now going forward as you iterate closer towards PMF. Thank you so much. It was quite fun. Thanks. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week. And with that, I just want to say a big thanks again to Vitaly and Chargebee for sponsoring this episode. If you do decide to check them out at vitaly.io forward slash churnfm and chargebee.com forward slash churnfm, please make sure to let them know I sent you because tracking podcast advertising is traditionally very difficult and I want to make sure we deliver value to them both so that we can retain them as our sponsors. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next week.